0: And it is Wade and Tim back at you, while Loverboy Kaiser continues to um, abort in the City of Lights, in the City of Love. Uh, Mark, of course, is wrapping up his uh, his Parisian expedition, yeah. and we will hear about that shortly. We're gonna we're gonna give him a couple of weeks to decompress, and then we'll uh, we'll have Mark on. In uh, he'll be back in February. Yeah. And we'll uh, we'll jump out of Tim. Give us a uh, a post mortem on the LAFCA Awards dinner. I heard it was fabulous. It was
1: actually a very well run show. You know that's been a really interesting sort of program uh, in, in in years
0: gone by. It has. It went, well. When I, the first one I went to was a bit of a mess, and then it's it was a luncheon, and I wasn't even a member then. I, I just had tickets. It used to
1: be a luncheon. I didn't know
0: that. It was originally a luncheon, and it was. Um, it was Manola when Manola, Manola Dar- Dargis, when Manola yeah. Dargas was president. Uh, she's the one that turned it into a dinner. It was originally a, a like a midday luncheon mm. with no no montage. No music, no no sort of show aspect to it, and uh, that was around, around two thousand, I think. well, you know, now evening thing, red yeah. carpet, you yeah. know, black tie,
1: the whole shebang, lots of speeches, very famous people. The montage was really, really nice. I must say, Stephen Farber, uh, one of the. Crucial people involved yeah. in that montage. Lovely montage, particularly the Shirley McLean. Shirley McLean, uh, what, what did she get? Our um, uh, the career achievement career award. achievement award. Yeah, uh, and uh, came up, gave a fantastic speech. She was very funny. Jack Black gave a speech right before her. You know, invited her up. That's they great. That movie burning together. You know. Um, it was fairly profane all the way around. <laughs> and I, you know, you always got to love that. But, you know, no no, no, particularly big music performances or anything like that. Just, a, you know, a lot of important people yeah. uh, talking about their movies. Nice little speeches. I gave a speech, gave uh, James Laxton, cinematographer for Moonlight. You yeah, he yeah. gave a nice little speech that he seemed to appreciate. So,
0: nice show. Good deal. Well, Claudia Puig, our president now. And Claudia is uh, is really, uh, she's doing a beautiful job. Holding that. Yes, indeed. So um, nothing else really on the, on the uh, movie front to uh, recount, but uh, we got a lot of DVDs, a lot of DVDs and Blu-rays. So I wanna, uh, I've got a lot of anime here that we did not get to last time. Uh, Funimation has just been absolutely killing it. So I want to I point people to a, some really interesting Funimation stuff. Uh, Bikini Warriors is one of those that I often really kind of make sense, make fun of because so much of anime features just big-eyed, beautiful women in bikinis, and there's a really <laughs> lascivious factor to it, and it's, you know, schoolgirls in uniforms and bikini warriors and whatnot, and this is actually called, this is a series actually called Bikini Warriors. It is a complete series. It's a Blu-ray and DVD combo set. And, uh, you know, they finally, at long last, just named it what it is, and uh, th- that's exactly what it is. It's a lot of fun fighting. It is, uh, it is absolutely titillating. It is unapologetically so, and I kind of found it really awesome. Uh, it's, it's not uh, – it owns its exploitation. Another complete series. Uh, Rampo Kitan, Game of La Place. Uh, this is also a combo set. Almost all of these are, uh, are combo sets, except for another one, which I'm going to mention in a second. Uh, what I like about this is this is inspired by the uh, writing of Edegawa Rampo. Mm. Now, do you remember the live-action film, uh, The Mystery of Rampo, from oh, about yeah. 20-some years ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Based on his writings as well? Um, his real name was not Edegawa Rampo. Edegawa Rampo is sort of the Japanese pronunciation of Edgar Allan Poe. Ah. And see, and oh. that's where he took his pen name from. Uh, but Rampo, um, the the mystery of Rompo, one of the great films not on DVD and or on Blu-ray, and certainly one of the great all-time scores of any movie ever made. Uh, his writing is really, really fascinating, and uh, that's where this animated series, very interestingly animated series, draws its uh, inspiration. Uh, it is not a, a, an adaptation of his work. It is just inspired by his work. It tried to, tries to do that very creepy uh, crime style that he did, and uh, it's it's very very interesting and brooding and compelling and and very very tense. And uh, it is basically starts kind of framed all around this middle school uh, teacher who was framed for murder, or the middle school student who was framed for the murder of his teacher. And from there, you get into uh, all kinds of really, really uh, interesting tentacles and uh, interesting, you know, criminal masterminds and underworld figures. Is
1: it sort of expressionistic? The it way is it always very was?
0: much M. It is like yeah. a Japanese animated series that's very much in the vein of M. Yeah, yeah. yeah it has that, that quality to it. It's oh, very yeah.
1: interesting. Ho, uh, 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 yeah. Bram Stoker's Dracula,
0: that kind yeah, of. Yeah, it's that got kind that kind of, kind, of, kind of that kind of vibe to it. And then we also have a series. That this is only on DVD. It's called Seiyu's Life. And uh, this came out in uh, December. This was after we uh, wrapped up the uh, past year. Uh, not so uh, amazing. This is, uh, you know, this is kind of lightweight stuff. And uh, I didn't particularly enjoy it. Um, but some people will, you know, probably, uh, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's room for the lighter anime stuff. So anyway, uh, if the idea, this is just kind of, this is anime fluff. That's what it is, and uh, lots of cameos here from voice actors that I guess is kind of a big deal for people who like to like to follow you know particular car- voice actors in Japan. So I suppose there's a little bit of uh, kind of meta enjoyment here. But uh, you know when you have look there, there's a character from a planet strawberry. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just can't, can't get with it. Um, another really interesting. Uh, the Death Parade complete series. This is a really, really beautiful Blu-ray and DVD combo pack. And uh, Death Parade is uh, is pretty. This is pretty dark. Uh, it's a. Um, it's kind of a, a an occulty supernatural thing about uh, people who die and they go to this kind of purgatorial uh, netherworld that sits between heaven and hell. And uh, there's, uh, the, you know, there's this weird kind of uh, afterlife drama, an afterlife uh, sort of uh, suspense drama that goes on over the course of this series. Uh, it's a little bit hard to follow at points. I was able to watch only a, a few episodes before my brain started to cramp up on me. So uh, I would say watch it for the animation. And if you have the time, maybe you'll absorb the story a little bit better. And uh, We also have a Show by Rock: The Complete Series, which is a combo pack. Uh, this gets into, uh, you know, a uh, this is one of those, one of those teen music stardom anime shows. Uh, There's a few of those about, you know, we dream of being a rock band, and uh, you know, that's well, that's what it is. There they go, playing out their fantasies of uh, being in a rock band in, in anime. It would never happen here. Um, Ultimate Otaku Teacher, Season One, Part One. This is uh, a very strange comedy. I didn't really get it. It's all, I'm sure, very, very uniquely Japanese. So I recommend that only for people that understand the uh, the comedy there. Uh, much more engaging is the Overlord complete series, which is a Blu-ray DVD combo pack limited edition, and uh, Prison School: The Complete Series, also a Blu-ray DVD combo pack uh, limited edition. Overlord is uh, is from the people who did uh, Death Parade and it's uh, kind of more of the same similar artwork and uh, you know it's, a, it's it's you know kind of dark brooding uh, fantasy And I guess um, you know uh, it's probably basically the same audience as uh, as uh, Death Parade. Uh, Prison School is about a, uh, a, a, a a girls' academy that becomes uh, co-ed. And uh, suddenly that doesn't actually work so well. The friction and all of the peeping and the things that happen at this girls' academy when they uh, introduce five boys who are allowed to go there uh, takes a very, very, very dark turn. And uh, it is kind of funny and it is kind of disturbing and it is uh, a little bit weird in that truly beautifully anime way. Yeah. Shimonetta, a boring world where the concept of dirty jokes doesn't exist. The complete series. That is literally <laughs> that is literally the name of this series. Shimonetta, a boring world where the concept of dirty jokes doesn't exist. Um, it, it, it's it's it is weirdly hilarious and it is extremely strange. Uh, I I just I I don't even I, I don't even know how to explain this thing. It it has to be seen to be believed. It is really really weird humor. It is uniquely Japanese humor. And yet, it is—it is strangely funny in a way that I didn't know. I didn't know you could laugh at stuff like this. It's very—it's a very weird discovery. <gasps> okay, let's see what else. I got here. Ah. Mm, we've got uh, Ninja Slayer: The Complete Series. Uh, Ninja Slayer is really, really cool. Uh, anything to do with ninjas? Uh, the um, Ninja is Ninja Slayer is just uh, essentially unrelenting, just never-ending ninja warrior attack, bloodletting. (laughs) It is no, it is really just insanely violent, and it is really beautifully animated. Uh, So Ninja Slayer, the complete series, that's a Blu-ray DVD combo pack that is pretty fantastic. Also out, uh, part twenty-two of Fairy Tail. F A I R Y T A I L. This thing is just never-ending. This is one of the all-time long-running anime series and uh there's really no point in actually uh filling in any of the details of that if you if if you've missed uh, parts one through twenty one you're not gonna discover anything remarkable with this one uh and then uh just the last few here Omamori himari the complete series uh is uh, kind of another one of those fantasy things about uh you know uh, d- demons it's everything it's not it's not like it's like a step above pokemon pokemon is demon stories for yeah little kids this is for kind of young adults i guess um anyway the the uh, the world of demons as they kind of become mythical deities and interact with mythical deities and humans uh it's a, it's an okay thing it's only on dvd so not on uh, not on a combo set omamori himari complete series uh here's one i really really thought was fascinating snow white with the red hair season 1 uh this is a, this is a totally totally intriguing series uh, that takes place in kind of a fantasy kingdom um, about this woman with very, you know, glowing red hair who is an herbalist and who um, is kind of a... Um, I don't know how to, how to put it. She's, she's not like a doctor, but she, she's sort of someone that everyone in the village goes to, everyone in the land goes to, to use her mythical, mystical, amazing knowledge of plants to, uh, to heal people. And uh, she runs afoul of this evil prince... And uh, from there, everything gets very, very interesting and uh, there are all this weird, these weird little backstories and uh, intriguing plot twists and turns. Uh, then there's also Aquarian Lagos, part one. Aquarian Lagos is the, uh, the 10th anniversary, it comes on the 10th anniversary of Aquarian. This is a new series, but it's all basically uh, dealing in this with the same world, just new characters. Um, Aquarian is, you know, an, uh, a legendary uh, anime uh, franchise. We also have The Heroic Legend of Arslan, Season 1, Part 2. This is uh, from the people who created Full Metal Alchemist. And uh, this is a, you know just kind of an ancient fantasy medieval uh, saga. And it's very interesting. It's very kind of European mixed with Asian mixed with uh, Indian. It's got a lot of interesting uh, angles to it. And then uh, the... Let's see. God. Uh Summer Wars Hosoda Collection. I love those. You like the Summer Wars? Oh yeah. Those are so good. Yeah. Yeah. Summer Wars is from the uh from the same director who did The Girl Who Leapt Through Time, which is also really good. Just beautiful, beautiful films. These. Mamoru Hosoda. And uh yeah, it's really fun. Uh Summer Wars Hosoda Collection. Uh this is a Blu ray DVD combo pack. And uh, you know, it's uh, it's 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 virtual reality meets actual reality and uh it's it's it's, it's Really, really interesting stuff. Sky Wizards Academy, complete series. This is from the uh, same people who made World Break Area of Curse for Holy Swordsmen. There's a mouthful. <laughs> and uh, this is about a, you know, this is more kind of medieval mystical stuff. This is about uh, a, a group that has uh, fought the devil beetles. I didn't know there could be devil beetles. <laughs> Anime just thinks up the weirdest stuff. Anyway, uh, so this guy has to, um, this guy is, it's about a guy sort of, it's a redemption story. He, you know, he's run afoul of his people and he has to somehow redeem himself. It's like the inverted messiah angle. Uh, and a lot of interesting weird characters. It's, uh, it's fun enough. It's fair enough. And uh, then we have Sengoku Basara End of Judgment Season 3. Lots of violent uh, medieval Japanese feudal carnage just ongoing and it's uh the plot can get a little bit uh difficult to follow but uh, you know it's a, it's it's a good saga Sengoku Basara End of Judgment season 3 uh, new adventure, same characters All righty so with that uh Tim let's um Let's start on the new movies. Uh, the, yeah, big stack let, of new movies that over big here. Big stack of new movies. Let's
1: let's dive into that, which is uh, interesting here. First one in my stack anyway. New movie, Roger Corman's. Oh <laughs> it's man, funny to say. New movie, put Roger Corbin's at the top of Death Race. Death Race twenty fifty. Um, I don't know how how far back does does the death. Race... Do the Death Race movies
0: go uh, late seventies? It's the seventies, it not think 60s, 70s, I think 70s, it's right? early seventies. The original Death Race, and uh, there were a couple of them. I, I mean, I loved them. You know, Sylvester Stallone was in that. Oh first yeah. One. yeah, yeah, yeah. In the cars. Frankly, for
1: years and years, driving around L.A., Hilarious. particularly if, if you live where where I live, which is kind of in the valley, and you would drive down Kawenga and there was that custom automotive, uh, uh, I yeah. don't know, and a lot of the cars, the Batmobile, uh, uh, the Green Hornet vehicle, and, and two or three of the cars from the original Death Race films would sit right there in that corner. and <laughs> You'd drive past them, and every time you'd say, that's yeah. the car from Death Race, from Cherry 2000, whatever. Anyway, uh, this one is a Blu-ray DVD, Roger Corbin's Death Race two, uh, 2050, uh, directed by a guy named G.J. Eckerkamp. Uh, whom mm-hmm. I do not know, uh, but you know what? Malcolm McDowell is in this movie along with Marcy Miller and a few other guys. It's set in 2050, uh, the planet has become overpopulated. In order to control the population, the government uh, develops the Death Race. It's always been, you know, one of those kind of kind of storylines to go. My, my
0: favorite moment from the original Death Race is, and I and I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, it's Stallone who does it, where he can <laughs> he can score points by plowing over all of the. Uh, the patients from a hospital who've been who've been put in the street. Do you remember this? Yes. Where the the doctors and the nurses are putting all of these patients <sighs> out in the middle of the street for them to plow over. But you know what? He sacrifices the points so he can go around the wall and plow over the doctors and the nurses instead. <laughs> instead, yeah. I just I remember watching that and just howling. It, it it's was really just, really
1: funny because we think about things now. Paul Bartel directed. Paul
0: Bartel. Yeah.
1: We think about things like that now. Um, uh, uh, we think about. Uh, Oh, what is those, those Vice, those Grand Theft Auto movies? Uh, or or yeah. games, actually, the games. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? It goes back and forth. Anyway, this one has a lot of bonus features, including the making of Roger Corbin's Death Race uh, 2050 and uh, some behind the scenes stuff yeah. uh, to go with that. Blair Witch, the original Blair Witch Project movie was 1999, believe it or not. And it uh, took him, although I think there was something intervening. There was
0: another one in the middle. Yeah, there and was something intervening
1: in the sort of tank. This, yeah. this one sort of more or less picks up where the other one uh, uh, left off. With the, with the guy's looking for assistance. So this is Blair, just the Blair Witch uh, here. Audio commentary uh, with director Adam Wingard and uh, writer Simon Barrett and uh, some special features and, and including an ultimate, or, no, a six-part documentary film here. Uh, I didn't see this when it came out. I, you know, the original Blair Witch Project was quite a phenomena when it hit yeah. Hollywood. You know, seventeen yeah. years ago now, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Uh, spent no money. That very bright marketing campaign that they used at the birth of the internet, really at the birth of the right. internet. Right. They're uh, sort of uh, alluding to this. To this. It really only gave us one movie star. Gave us Joshua Leonard. He's the only guy that really came out of that. The, the directors, and you know they did a few things that were kind of interesting. Um, I've got Operation Avalanche here, which is a neat little movie. I remember seeing this one for the show. Um, I, I like this movie because it's a well-made little thriller, little mystery thriller, and that I like about it. I like the way it's shaped. I like the way it looks. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty good-looking little movie, too. Basically, what we, ha- we have here, Matt Johnson-directed film, in 1967, you got these CIA agents who are sent undercover into NASA. They think that they're going into NASA to, to root out a mole, a Soviet mole who might be in NASA trying to uh, bring down the uh, space program, the Apollo program. Oh, that's great. But what they stumble across, of course... <laughs> Is the NASA government conspiracy conspiracy to fake the moon landing, oh. as we all know, it was done. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, the thing that I hate about this movie is that it furthers that perfectly ridiculous notion that the moon landing was fake. Yeah. Uh, in, in in yet another film, but as a movie, it's actually put together pretty well. I got to say, uh, that's what it's trying to do. So it does it not so bad at all. Um, special features include deleted scenes, behind the scenes featurette, audio, co- audio commentaries with the filmmakers and the cast. Uh, and, and the production values of this movie are, are really, really good. I'll, I, I will yeah. give it that. I will definitely give it that. Operation uh, Avalanche. The Whole Truth is a Keanu Reeves um, courtroom thriller. And, you know, courtroom thrillers are hard to pull off, particularly since we have so many really good courtroom thrillers that you are know, on television. Uh, and streaming nowadays, anyway, Goliath. It's a really, really good one. It's streaming right now with with, uh, Billy Bob Thornton. But i got to tell you, this one reaches back to those early days of the early 90s, early to mid-90s, when the courtroom thriller was the thing that was happening in Hollywood. All those John Grisham films, all those Scott Thoreau films, Presumed Innocent, these were the big movies. They were.
0: For about five or ten years there, beginning in the early 90s. It's amazing how many of those, cr- those courtroom things, I mean, they made... The j- Pelican Brief, a lot of them were either they, Thoreau or Grisham, but, It you know. was like, in, a, in about 10, 12, 15 years, I think there were probably 20 or 30 Grisham and Thoreau things that were, that were adapted into movies. It was amazing. You're right up through probably Lincoln Lawyer was probably the, that last, was the last really one. big one. It was, uh, yeah. Mean,
1: this is Courtney Hunt, uh, which uh, Courtney Hunt made a movie called Frozen River a few years ago, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. which was a uh, pretty good movie. This is actually pretty neat. This is a courtroom drama uh, about a young man who goes on trial for killing his father. Um, Keanu, Reeves ta- Keanu Reeves takes the case, and we we watch and we follow uh, as as what seems to be a fairly cut-and-dry case – takes on some fairly interesting turns and left and right hooks and whatnot. And it turns out to be way more complicated than it seems uh, at the top of the movie. Anyway, uh, this is a pretty neat uh, film. Uh, Not a whole lot on this Blu-ray DVD. Not even a commentary track. But you know, the movie's okay, and that's what you're really buying it for anyway. Uh, So you can always just watch that. Uh, Denial. Denial is one of the films which I thought which a lot of people thought that we might be talking about.
0: At Oscar time?
1: At Oscar yeah. time. Uh, nope, certainly, look, Tom Wilkinson and Timothy Sprawl give a, a couple of really good performances in this
0: T- movie. Timothy Sprawl is fantastic in this. He's really, really good. So uh, strong. I, I'm still trying to figure out why this thing just didn't really catch fire. Because it was the, fir- it was literally the first thing I watched when I started watching all my screeners. Yeah, the, the, the movie is about the, this guy, this sort of uh, revisionist historian, an actual fellow, uh, an English, uh, a British, a British guy who sort of. Makes has made his name as a uh, a, a very uh, forthright and legitimate sounding yeah. Holocaust denier. Yeah, his name's
1: David Irving. He, yeah. you, you can look him up. Deborah Lippenstadt wrote a book about the Holocaust. He she and Lippenstadt got into a tangle about this that ended up in the British court system, which is different from our court court system, particularly when it comes to libel uh, and what and who has to prove what. It kind of works in the reverse right. of the way things work here in the United yeah. States. Uh, and it, w- it was kind of a big deal and a very, very important sort of issue. The film didn't work for me either, though I must admit, uh, performances outstanding across the board here. But yeah. this film didn't quite come together narratively, narratively for me, and thus it is not a film that people are talking about right now <laughs> like <laughs> they thought that they would be. Yeah. Uh, bonus feature on this one: the making of a denial. I, I can recommend it as a film for the content for the subject matter yeah. of the film. That's where I, that's where I can recommend it.
0: Yeah. Uh, what else we got over And there? then uh, we've got Aaron Paul in Come and Find Me. I, you know, i got to be honest. I, I like Aaron Paul, but I kind of don't quite get the whole thing. I, I, it's, it just seems to me like a guy who had a really good moment. He was well cast on a TV show. Oh, uh, Breaking Bad, obviously. Breaking Bad, and now everybody just thinks we can plug him into any old damn thing. Uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is just kind of a, a, a middling thriller. This is from uh, Lionsgate. And uh, it's, you know, it's one of those somebody disappears without a trace things and you've somehow now got to figure out what ha- what just happened. We've had a million of these over movie history. Uh, as the guy who is looking for his girlfriend and running into, you know, all kinds of really interesting and strange and uh, bewitching dead ends and new clues and uh, it, it, it's, you know. Look, it- between uh, Vanished... Yeah. Uh,
1: and then I think there was another one called Vanished. I think they did it twice. There was the, oh, the, the vanishing. There were the two. The, the vanishing. The, the two. Yeah. The vanishings. I mean. And then there's pretty. the fr-
0: and then there's the French one. Uh, <laughs> what was the French one? Uh, uh, yeah. Where he, he 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 she vanishes and and they think she's dead and he gets clobbered on the docks and yeah. What was that thing? It's out of my head. I yeah, mean, it's out of mine too. Yeah.
1: Anyway, it was so so so. That's another one of those uh, uh, from Zach Wheaton. Um, who actually is an interesting television director? He used to direct a lot of episodes of Southland, which was that cop drama that was yeah. on a couple of years ago. I loved which Southland. Are
0: beautifully done. Yeah. Yeah, the,
1: a, lot of, a lot of people remember that show. Anyway, Zach directed
0: a bunch of those. Southland episodes. was a sharp show. Yeah. It really was. It was a really sharp show. Almost too sharp. Uh, the Dressmaker. Oh, this is such a frustrating movie. Did you yeah. see The Dressmaker? Another
1: one that folks thought we would be talking about, uh, at least in terms of Kate Winslet's performance around this time yeah. of year, but not so.
0: So, so here's the deal. Uh, this is directed by Jocelyn Morehouse from a script written by Jocelyn Morehouse and P.J. Hogan. For those who don't know, Jocelyn Morehouse and P.J. Hogan are husband and wife. Mm. Um, both of them very accomplished filmmakers. Uh, my she, best friend's wedding. It, 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 Muriel's, Muriel's wedding. wedding. Those Lots are the P- of weddings. The P- those are the P.J. <laughs> Hogan films. Right. He also did a Peter Pan film from some years ago. Mm. Jocelyn Morehouse did uh, you know, the, Amer- the first American quilt film and then she also did uh, some I mean but they're Australian a lot of great I mean a lot of impressive films between the two of them proof was one. proof was the one that really launched it for her so I when I interviewed him about 20 some years ago I I remember asking him you know how do you how do you manage uh, with the kids because they've got like a bunch of kids and you know in his very cool thick Aussie accent he goes ah, you know the kids kids it's kids <laughs> uh that's what i remember about that he says yeah i'll just I'll, I'll make a movie and she takes care of the kids and then she'll make a movie and i'll take care of the kids and we just trade off the kids and i thought okay well, that, that works yeah. i'm glad you got it worked out and uh, well that was 20 some years ago the kids are grown now yeah kids are doing their own thing so they can work together and i was so hoping that them working together would result in something amazing and wonderful. And it is for a moment, um, mm-hmm. and then it goes kind of off the rails and doesn't really tie itself up very nicely. It, it just gets into a it, it just goes into a weird direction. Um, but here's the deal. So this all takes place in a small Australian town, uh, around about I guess 1950s yeah Is yeah. it about the '50s, something like that. and um, it is a it is a rather nasty, mean little town from which uh, Kate Winslet's character was essentially banished when she was a little girl. There's a there's a history there between she... When, and when she comes back all decked out with experience having been a dressmaker all over the world and with all her reputation, why is she back in town after all that happened long yeah. ago? <laughs> and so we, we now have to sort of piece together what happened long ago. What is the history there? And... Um, it's a great quirky town. A lot of interesting characters. The way that she affects the town, it starts to feel like Chocolat for a moment, yeah, doesn't it? Like yeah, with yeah. Yeah. yeah, kind of magical. You know. it, kind of magical, and she's you know making dresses and changing people's lives. And then there's this competition, and then it just kind of goes off the rails and goes about twenty five minutes too long, and it's too bad. Uh, there's so much good stuff here. I'm still Judy Davis. Judy uh, Davis. The, 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 Hugo. The, uh, the other. Hugh, the other Hemsworth boy. Not, Liam. Not, Liam, not Liam the Hemsworth. Boy. That one. That and one. Yeah. and Hugo Weaving as the Local constable who is so gay <laughs> it is i mean it is like it is off the chart and uh you you will that is that is he is one of the great delights in this movie because He's, he's playing a stereotype, but yet it's not a stereotype. You know what I mean? You, you really you grow to love him, despite the fact that he is every effete cliché you've ever seen the in a movie.
1: Hugo, he, which was the, the Australian movie? Uh, where they, Priscilla, Queen of the Pr- Desert. Priscilla, yeah, got, yeah. Always got that confused with Tu, tu Wong Fu. Yeah. Because they yeah. came out about the same time. The two time. drag films. Yeah.
0: But uh, Guy Pierce and Hugo... He takes what could very well have become a completely stereotyped cliche with all of its just effete flamboyance, and he just, he makes it real and lovable and unique and only him. And I just, I can't get enough Hugo Weaving in my movies. So anyway, uh, for all of its crazy faults, it's got a lot of great attributes, and uh, I'm gonna gonna recommend this thing on Blu-ray. This was financed by Amazon Studios, good for them. And you get some uh, special features, just mostly featurettes on here, so that. All right, now we're into our uh, our 4K blitz for the week. We got a bunch of new movies on 4K. And uh, I'm 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 going to start being a lot harsher on the 4K stuff than I have been in the past because you know we talk we about the actual look of the, the stuff look is it's, transfer- you know, Yeah, the 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 bar has been raised. Everything is is really going 4K now after CES and as we've noted on the pot- on the uh, the Facebook page, uh, 3D television is essentially dead. It's yeah. dead, 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 dead. No one at CES for the first time now in like six or seven years or eight years or ever since it was.
1: Pimped out of 3D TV.
0: No one has announced 3D TVs. So they have all basically thrown the towel in. Uh, As of now, as of the new line of televisions that are being released this year, There are no manufacturers, no at least top tier manufacturers. I'm sure there might be a Chinese company out there somewhere. But as as of right now, there are no new 3D televisions in the pipeline for any major manufacturers. I got
1: one buddy with one that requires the glasses. Yeah. You know, he's the only. Patrick, you know. Yeah. uh, He's the only buddy. It just didn't happen, man.
0: It didn't happen because, well, look, people don't. I, I've tried to explain this to so many people who were really on the 3D bandwagon, and I and I asked them. I said, "Really? Let me ask you. When was the last time you watched a 3D movie on your television with the 3D glasses and other people yeah. in the room?" Yeah, yeah. And the answer always is, "Oh, well, I never watched 3D movies with with others. I just watch." Well, it's a social experience. Yeah. Television is the central place of the house. Most of what you're going to watch, you're going to watch with other people. Not in 3D, because yeah. people don't want to be wearing glasses. You want to look at people around and, and, you. And they don't
1: work. First of all, you have had to buy those glasses separately. Yeah. He did buy one extra pair. And it doesn't make any difference because they only work perfectly from one position in the room anyway. Uh, and that's the position that he was sitting in. Yeah. <laughs> it, which it's means it is, it, It's an experience it, for one. And no one... If I wanted to experience 3D all by myself, I'd buy one of those fancy Samsung oculus sure. kind of thingy-majiggies yeah. and just stick it on my own face. There you go. Put my headphones in, have a 3D experience. Totally. Why am I sitting in my living room with a 75-inch screen? Makes no sense.
0: So that said, 4K is is, our, is the new 3D because they, they figure, well, it's all about the resolution. So uh, 4K is, of course, moving ahead. And our Ultra HD titles this week begin with another film that we thought might be in the uh, conversation for awards and clearly wound up not being The Girl on the Train. Uh, I will preface this by saying I am a huge Emily Blunt fan. I big would cast, Emily Blunt fan. I would cast Emily Blunt as anything in any movie. Uh, if she were, if I were making a movie about cucumbers, she would play the queen cucumber. She can play anything from a princess to a sort
1: of alcoholic girl like she does on this, in this she's, movie here to like Edge of Tomorrow, which she's, she's the badass. Amazing. She owns that movie, took it from Tom Cruise.
0: Took it right out of his hands and totally, yeah, she killed it. So uh, this is a big kind of lumbering disappointment of a thriller, uh, especially in the wake of Gone Girl, yeah. the Fincher film from a few years ago, which is sort of how you do this film right.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, exactly how, you, it, it, that's a perfect comparison. You could also throw The Accountant in there, to, which blew it too recently. Yeah, yeah. Uh, both of those sort mm-hmm. of wanted to be in the same spot, but just did not yeah. get it right, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well. Anyway, uh, rather sad, but it's based on a, it's based on a bestseller, which I've not read, and I have to wonder if all the story problems are in the book as well, or if they just somehow became magnified by the movie. In any case, uh, you know, there's a there's a uh, how do we even get into the story? There's a thing that happens something nefarious possibly and she's in the middle of it and uh, we, then we sort of have to unravel it and you know what's truth and what isn't and all of those usual questions be, get asked and it is it is stylishly made but i just i it just is it, it ultimately goes nowhere and it really really falls apart uh, in the end it just can't sort of hold all of its threads together which is a problem with most of these things uh this comes in a blu-ray dvd and h and a digital hd uh Ultraviolet combo set or you get it in the uh a 4K Ultra HD set, which is uh, a Blu-ray, a 4K Blu-ray, and the uh, the uh, ultraviolet uh, code, uh, which of course you can also watch on iTunes. Um, you know, lots of featurettes here, deleted and extended scenes, the usual deal. Uh, There's feature commentary with the director Tate Taylor, who is not a bad director. Um, no, but uh, I, you know, as a as a as a 4K transfer, I don't see substantial difference with the the Blu-ray. If you have to watch it, I'd say just rent the Blu-ray. Get plenty of enjoyment out of that, um, and then we've also got Deepwater Horizon. Yeah, which you know I admire the craft of this thing. I've kind of, I, I know I'm I'm a I'm a latecomer to the Peter Berg train. He's made movies that I've liked <laughs> up to this point, but I've kind of resisted giving him credit for them because he's Peter Berg. He's I've been actor. I've been
1: I've been in and out on Peter Berg for close to twenty now. I hate go go way way back when Peter Berg was an actor uh, See, Last Seduction yeah. Last Seduction remember that uh, mm-hmm. John Dahl film Yeah, Peter Berg uh, uh, Linda Fiorentino you yeah. know that's my Peter Berg didn't yeah. he make this movie called Very Bad Things terrible movie one of Awful. the worst movies of all time Yeah, and I, I, I would have thought if you would asked me then I would have said you know that's the end of that Yet Peter Burke has sort of worked himself into like, like a journeyman, sort of action, sort of big-time Don't guy.
0: forget, he was he was a boxer in The Great White Hype. Yeah. You remember yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. That uh, was uh, just so terrible. And that was... Uh, wasn't it one of the... Uh, was it Damon Wayans or the other Wayans? Damon Way- no, Damon Wayans Damon was Wayans. in it. Uh, and I think it was directed by... Was it Reginald Hudlin who directed yeah, that? Yeah, See? Yeah. That wasn't any good either. Yeah. So I've, I've resisted wanting to give him any credit for being... A, a, but you know what? He... He really is able now to handle these big movies. He knows <laughs> how to make
1: a move, he and, knows. and they, in fact, move like a Peter Berg film. There is something called a Peter Berg film that has an identifiable sort it, of. It uh, really imprimatur. is, and
0: the, the the Will Smith thing, uh, Hancock. Yeah, you know that's that's well, the Friday sp- Night Lights, of course, and Friday Night Lights certainly. So, Deepwater Horizon, of course, is, you know, this is one of the two Mark Wahlberg movies that he made uh, last year, which are both huge movies, the other one being Patriots Day. Yeah. Uh, one is about the Deepwater Horizon tragedy, and the other one is obviously about the uh, Boston Marathon uh, uh, terrorist attacks. Um, and they are f- very similar in many respects, with Mark Wahlberg playing this kind of, you know, bohunky, all American everyman at the middle of it. Now, the Mark Wahlberg character in these two films and especially Deepwater Horizon does not exist anywhere in real life no. these are fabricated sort of amalgams of some kind of all American working class guy yeah. and um, you know because Mark Wahlberg produces these films and he's giving himself you know heroic roles I get that totally get that he's like, you know, he's like the Boston Charlton Heston of our day <laughs> and he's, that's what he is right yeah, he, yeah that's what he's become So uh, I I will say this about Deepwater Horizon. It is an an oversimplification of what really happened. It certainly makes it out to be, you know, a whole lot of really workaday guys who just wanted to make this thing work and a whole lot of, uh, you know, red tape and, and, and uh, penny-pinching bureaucratic uh, guys who wanted to save a penny here and there. And next thing you know, this thing blows up and it's the worst oil spill in North American history. Okay, uh, uh, knowing what I know of the event, it's a, it's, it's a lot more than that. Yeah. Um, but that said, as a piece of filmmaking with its explosions and its, you know, tension and its riveting this and that and the other thing, it's a hell of a ride. The score, the this, that. Hey, hey, look in in John Malkovich, who 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 plays a
1: character. Who represents an actual person in the film, right? So that 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 character's name is the name of a human on the planet, right? And John John Malkovich is playing this guy just like a Cajun. He's like some sort of Cajun, just you know, he's just he's he's actually evil himself. So you know that was that kind. If I was that guy, (laughs) I think I have some issues with that performance. But you know what? It's a fun performance. It
0: is no for sure. For sure. So, uh, you know, it's it's not a great movie, but it is like Lone Survivor. It's like Patriot's Day. It's like Hancock and Friday Night Lights. It's that kind of a movie. And it's a it's a Peter Berg movie. And he is becoming the most unlikely auteur. Uh, So I'll say this. It is a uh, it is a Blu-ray 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray and uh, uh, ultraviolet combo set. And it's gorgeous. It is gorgeous. If you want uh, a reference standard title that will really, really show off the difference between Blu-ray and 4K, this is one of them. Mm. Compare the fire. When things explode and the, the color richness and the detail in fire, mm-hmm. that's where you really see it. Uh, even a Blu- the Blu-ray. The differential between the Blu-ray and this and the, 4K. And the 4K. Okay. 4K will show you... You will think that your television is on fire. <laughs> Don't, do not run for the extinguisher. It is, it, is, it is rather dazzling. So that's where you really start to see the differences in the color, in the detail, the fire... Uh, which uh regular H D, you know, captures okay. Four K handles like, like nobody's business. Mm. So that's uh that's a good one.
1: Yeah, interesting. I got a couple over here. I got an yep. Inferno. Oh my gosh. Uh what is that? The third it's the third it's in the that, third one. that
0: the, the the Dan Brown adaptation of Tom Hanks. The first one was ridiculous. The second one was ridiculous on fumes. This <laughs> this isn't even this isn't even really a Dan Brown novel. It's like Dan Brown didn't know where to go now, so there's nothing super. This is like a Born Identity movie yeah. with with Tom Hanks. He has amnesia. It's, it's whatever. Fel, Fel, Felicity Jones
1: is in it though, and she she's right up there with uh, Emily Blunt. Yeah. In terms of girls who are just you know I'm yeah. Either. Anyway, yeah, perfectly ridiculous. Plus, he's wearing this wig in this one, which is really oh, bad. It's Terrible. It's just a problem with the wig.
0: Um. Uh, yeah, the, what, 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 what have we got there? I, you know, I'm just going to say that it's. Uh. You know, it, it is what it is. It's Ron, not. A, Ron
1: it, Howard. You know, Ron Howard will direct something fantastic like that race car movie that he did a couple of years. ago yeah, Right. right yeah. Outstanding yeah. work. And and then it, so it, it has to be the material because I know it's not Ron Howard. No, it's not Ron. It has this to is, be him and Tom and all these guys are friends and. But two some, words. somebody had to know
0: contractual obligations. Oh, yeah, when these, when you, it's the third book, and they were signed on, and you have to do it, and you could just see all of them show, just getting the phone call. Did you know that Dan Brown just wrote a third book, and they're just going, yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> Like, really? Because the contract says I have to make a third oh. one if he writes it. Yeah. Oh, and, the, and that enthusiasm is just right there on the screen. <sighs> what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Yeah. Uh, one of the one, another
1: film that we thought we would be talking about more.
0: Uh, this right this, about this merits a lot of discussion, so let's, uh, let's, let's, let's kind of dive into this a little bit. We're the talking birth about of a nation. Yeah. Um, Nate Parker's uh, film, which was a historic film at Sundance, uh, sold
1: for a historic amount of money. There was a bidding war.
0: Yes, bidding war that went through the roof. Fox Searchlight got it. They didn't even offer the most. The higher offers came from, I think it was uh, oh, Netflix, Netflix offered yeah, and, probably, and, yeah, and Byron yeah. Allen, yeah, a company offered twenty million for it. Um, and they went with uh, Fox Searchlight because they trusted them more with their awards acumen. Uh, Post
1: twelve years a slave, I think. Yes. Uh, you know, and, uh, and and there it was. You know. Now I, I will say this coming out because you know Sundance is going on now. Yeah. And coming out of Sundance last year, there was all of the, this excitement about this film. I had a few reports from a couple of people before all of the commotion about, the, you know, the whole, the, you know, everything that went down with respect to when he was in college and, and the young lady who, who who passed away, who committed suicide. and Before all of that, yeah, I had some reports out of Sundance that this movie was, uh, I won't say Empress Clothing, but not as good as... It's, it seemed to be, well, it, you know, talking about. You know.
0: It was, you know, Sundance always takes place in January in the in the heat of uh, an ongoing Oscar season, and uh, there is very, you know, very often things that come out of Sundance that do have some Oscar heat on them. Mm-hmm. Little Miss Sunshine being one of the more noteworthy ones of recent years, but more often than not, much more often than not, the stuff that comes out of Sundance with a lot of buzz and with awards. Uh, usually goes belly up at, yeah. at awards time, yeah. the Brothers McMullen being yeah. a great, ex- the, maybe the best example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so the question was this was the biggest all time sale in the history of Sundance. Uh, and it came at that Oscar So White moment. Yeah. When you have to wonder was everyone suddenly kind of in the back of their heads feeling the pressure to compensate? by you know look finding the first the first film by a black filmmaker with a black yeah. cast let 's throw with, all with,
1: with a great story
0: with a great story, I mean it took him six years it, to get
1: it done, he wrote yeah. the script himself, all of this stuff, pushing and raised anyway. the money
0: himself and and, yeah. and, and and all of that, and
1: then all right, so anyway, then we have the movie itself, all right yeah. now, this is not a terrible movie, this is not a bad movie, this is not a film that i um well, you know, I have all kinds of issues with American slave narratives, right? Yeah. So these are my these are my personal issues with American slave narratives. Set that aside for just one second. Yeah. Talk about the film just as a piece of filmmaking. There's some really, really good filmmaking here. There's some first time filmmaker mm-hmm. filmmaking here too, right? Yeah. I can't ignore any of it. You know, I have to look at it as a as as a critic and, and, and say that I can see some real first-time filmmaker problems here. Yeah. Um it's almost impossible to have the conversation about this film without having that other conversation, which, of course, mutes and blunts anything a critic would say about this film as a film, when it gets filtered through that other thing. And, and that's yeah. sort of a shame. This is a perfectly solid cinematic effort. This is a really good first-time filmmaker's film.
0: It, it, no first-time filmmaker. I, I can't imagine any first-time filmmaker who would not be proud to say, this is my first movie. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't make it a great movie. Yeah. And, and, and so, it doesn't mean
1: that we need, but need to be talking about it in terms of Oscar yeah. consideration right now, or it is otherwise a failure. It Correct. is not a failure
0: yeah no it's not a failure uh, it, you know the, the and the story of Nat Turner is a, is a really significant story yeah. I mean it really is a significant story, and it's our, our friend Ray Green, you discussed this in Ray's class the yeah, other day too. Out, yeah. And you know Ray is Ray, who is a a, a a by his own confession a lapsed Catholic, found the movie interesting from a different standpoint, which is that he saw this as a movie that uh, in which um, religion is sort of used as a cudgel, as a tool of oppression and and division and so forth. And there's a lot of religious imagery in the film. Certainly, um, I didn't necessarily read it that way, but that's fine. You can read a film many mm. different ways. You know, uh, I saw this as a movie about uh, the the. How faith finds itself awkwardly footballed around in a situation where faith really has nothing to do with anything that's going on, mm-hmm. you know yes, certainly some people these are, are social problems these are uh, social problems, and uh, I'm sure that some of these people are fervent in their misguided faith, and I'm sure that Na- that Nat Turner was fervent in his in his in his faith on a mm-hmm. certain level, but ultimately you're all kind of making faith into something that has nothing to do with the, the current situation. So I, I saw it differently. There's a lot of discussion to be had in this, but that said, I still don't see that there's anything going on in this movie that I haven't seen done better going all the way back to Roots and all the way up to 12 Years a Slave. And I kind of feel like been there, done that. Been there, done that. Good, good yeah. you know, good, solid film. Some
1: first-time filmmaker problems in that movie. Quite a bit, uh, actually, it, it, yeah. and, and, You know, what, what am I saying when I say that? Yeah. W- about yeah. a first-time filmmaker. Yeah. I- I'm calling the first-time filmmaker a first-time filmmaker. That's not a terrible thing to be. It is. <laughs> it, is it
0: is also um, basically Braveheart.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know. Is
0: well, what it is. Yeah. It's it's basically the same narrative as Braveheart, and uh, it gets a little too gory for my taste at a certain point. But uh, it was a gory era, and even Steve McQueen said about Twelve Years a Slave, they had to tone the gore down because. Yeah, yeah. If you do what really happened, no one would believe it. So yeah. there's the con- there's the contradiction, the, ir- the irony of these movies of, of real life films is right. that very often you have to make them less realistic to be more believable. Truth actually being stranger than fiction. Yeah. There's another one of these. Uh, Jonestown came out this year too, which yeah. the
1: Matthew McConaughey movie yeah. about that uh, the the swamp. Or whatever his yeah, yeah, name the, was the,
0: uh, the 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 free state of Jones. Yeah. And the, yeah, yeah, that's right. The free state of Jones that also did not do also did not do well.
1: We thought we'd be talking about that. Yeah. There are there are a whole bunch of them. There there, no, there bunch. are. Yeah,
0: there, are, there always are. So anyway Anyway, uh, how does it look 4K? You know what? It's a it's a pretty grainy, uh, low palette film to begin with. It's very blue, very gray, very foggy. Not a very colorful film. Yeah. Shouldn't be given the subject matter. Does not really emerge as being all that attractive in 4K. I think Blu-ray does it just fine. 4K is uh, is not uh, particularly kind to this film. Uh, but that said, it also has a lot of extras, a lot of uh, stuff that is, is significant. You get uh, deleted scenes, you get the feature commentary with Nate Parker. Um, uh, but what is really unfortunate is that the uh, you know this thing was the, the, the his his history, the yeah. sexual assault trial, really overshadowed the film and took away all the steam. Is it as good? As everyone said, it was no. Is it? Is does it deserve all of the, the the backlash that it's received? Yeah, the weight so. from all of that baggage. No, I think that's unfair too. No, no. So no. anyway, uh, yeah. All right. That said, uh, Tim, let's try to, to get through some uh, l- classic film stuff here. Yeah, let's uh, let me do the olive Okay. because we got a whole pack of olives here, and uh, I don't mean the food. <laughs> Um, this is a boy. This is a great bunch of titles from Olive. We love the people at Olive. Um, they give us so so many interesting movies. They continue to license really really great stuff. Um, the uh, the Scarlet Pimpernel is a great story that has been done many many times. And there was this really interesting uh, adaptation of it in 1941 called uh, Pimpernel Smith, starring Leslie Howard. Which basically takes the Scarlet Pimpernel and uh, immerses him. It kind of turns him into a, uh, into a Cambridge professor, an archaeology professor, very Indiana Jones-style guy. And um, it, it, it puts him into a World War II-era um, uh, drama. Shall we say? And I and I won't. I don't want to give anything away. But it's you know it's a, it is certainly a British propaganda film to counter Nazi propaganda films. It's very much in the of the World War II era. But the fact that it's adapted from the Scarlet Pimpernel story uh, with no less than Leslie Harrod uh, Leslie Howard is really really interesting. And I had never heard of this film. It was completely off of my radar. And uh, it is a it is a fascinating discovery. I, and- I've
1: seen that film done. I've seen it done Swedish. I've seen it done Japanese. Uh, You know, all the the, the Pimpernel Smith story. I've seen it. I'll tell
0: you, you (laughs) realize at a certain point that... there is a lot of Indiana Jones in this and a lot of Pimpernel Smith in Indiana Jones. Yeah. yeah. It's, not, it's not, you know, it, we usually, for Indiana Jones as a touchstone, we usually want to go back to, you know, King Solomon's mind. Alan right? Quartermain. Alan and Quartermain. And there's a lot of it that goes back to this as well. Yeah. So uh, that was a nice discovery. Uh, William S. Hart, one of the old uh, silent era uh, mainstays of Westerns, it stars in Wagon Tracks. This is a 1919 film. It's only 69 minutes long. It has uh, tinted sequences, and uh, it is interesting really only if you're a Hart fan. I find these these very early silent era westerns uh, to be really quite compelling uh, in that they kind of pioneer a lot of uh, the, the uh, narrative structures that would emerge in later westerns with Jimmy Stewart. Yeah and uh, John Wayne. and uh, I mean, To that degree, I find it uh, rather interesting. Um, it is one of the better ones with, with Hart, and it is worth checking out if you are a silent film. Kind of a wagon trainy kind yeah. of movie, going through yeah. the mountains past. Yeah. Plays a
1: guy named Buckskin in that movie. Right, isn't that great? Buckskin. I love, <laughs> I gotta love
0: it. Uh, let's see. The 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T is a fantastic, fantastic film. This movie is so awesome. Uh, people often forget that uh, Dr. Seuss... Theodore Geisel wrote the screenplay for this yeah. along with Alan Scott but it is really very Seussian this is the famous live action film that Dr. Seuss wrote the screenplay for it is an absolutely fantastic fantasy it is, uh, it is wonderful it is beautifully shot it is just vibrant beyond all comprehension uh, this is not Olive by the way this is Mill Creek uh, but it is, uh, it's, it's also licensed from Columbia where, from whom a lot of, a lot of the olive licenses come from. And, uh, this is absolutely an, a, a wonderful, wonderful movie. So Hans uh, Connery. That, oh, that, that so face. good. Oh, Hans Connery is so great as the, as the <laughs> bad guy with that voice. I not why I get, I can't even do it. Um, he, was,
1: he was, he was an Orson, he was a, he, he was a part of Wells's Mercury Theater. That's how far he goes back. Really? He was part of the Mercury Theater? Yeah, yeah. He's in War of the Worlds. He's in the radio War of the Worlds. No kidding.
0: All right. Um, And then uh, getting back to the rest of the Olive stuff, Boy, Did I Get a Wrong Number with Bob Hope and Elkie Summer and Phyllis Diller. Uh, This is just one of those sex comedies from the uh, mid-'60s. When sex comedies were pretty chaste, and you know, with those three, you got to go. Okay, Bob Hope not very sexy. <laughs> Phyllis Diller not sexy. Elkie Summer very sexy, but not enough to overcome the other two. So it's a it is it is a it's a fun film, very much of its era, directed by George Marshall. It you know, but it would have been better with Jerry Lewis.
1: Yeah, that's the one. She has that great bubble bath. Yeah, the bubble bath scene. Elkie Summer. Yeah,
0: it's hilarious. Sabotage terrific film from uh, 1939 right on the eve of World oh, War 2
1: 1939 sabotage
0: the 1939 oh, there like 10 films called sabotage yeah i'm thinking of the you're thinking sort of the hitchcock thir- yeah, the hitchcock the, yeah, film would have yeah. been before that yeah yeah no this is not the hitchcock film this is uh, this is directed by Harold Young and uh, this is the 1939 uh, sabotage and it is perfectly fine uh, it's a you know it's a it's a spy film on the on the edge of World War 2 and clearly has a lot of those threads in it it is perfectly fine. Uh, good story by uh, Lionel House and Alice Altshuler, uh, but it's uh, it is not that remarkable. Um, a little bit more interesting is one of our aircraft is missing, which uh, is uh, from 1942, and you know now we're back into the heart of World War II. At least, certainly from the uh, the British aspect, and uh, this just deals with a with an RAF bomber crew and um classic pal and press and yeah press, and press classic pal press burger thing it's just it's very much in the, in the in the in the the thick of what they were doing at the time and beautiful performances really really very well done good cast solid cast uh, even though it has that British it has a, a tinge of the propaganda yeah. film to it still really enjoyable it's all more or less a Churchill speech <laughs> yeah little, pretty much little pretty, pretty much
1: yeah Hal and Pressburger were perfect at that. they knew what they were doing
0: uh, The Men's Club is one of the more recent films from the uh, Olive releases this is fr- uh, from the MGM library uh, this is a Peter Medak film and I'm a huge huge yeah. fan of Peter Medak who made so many great movies uh, of they were so diverse. Uh, let let them have it. Let him have it is the one that just still floors me, and that is still not on Blu-ray or DVD. Can you believe that? Really, I had no, no idea was it
1: wasn't. No,
0: about the craze it was really. It, the, I mean, well, it, the, wasn't, his, it wasn't, but it was. Well, he made he made he made a, he made a separate Cray film. Oh, he made, you made the craze? That's right, the craze. He made the craze. Yeah, that was, yeah, yeah, that was yeah. the craze, yeah. The craze. Uh, let him have it was the one about the uh, the two kids. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and did he – the, the, it was basically what, the last – What did
1: e- it mean? Yeah, let him have it. What did it mean? Did it yes. mean let him have it or ha- did it mean let him have it? You know? Yeah,
0: and, and that was the last execution, uh, the last uh, uh, capital punishment. That's what put an end to it in the U.K., so anyway with uh, the men's club Peter Medak puts together an absolutely incredible cast Uh, I mean this was amazing at the time Franklin Gala Harvey Keitel Roy Scheider uh, Treat Williams really an amazing cast and those are just the guys then you got Stockard Channing and uh, you know on and on and on Jennifer Jason Lee is in this movie It's it's an amazing cast um the, the, the film itself is, a, is, a, is really almost more interesting now, I am inclined to say. It's based on a novel that I was unfamiliar with at the time, still not familiar with. Uh, but it gets into you know support group sessions with these men from all these different backgrounds and how all of this sort of uh, dovetails into their respective lives and relationships. Um, I find that, that, that at the time this movie was made, 1986 we weren't really talking as much about this stuff. All of this self-help stuff was sort of still in the air, but not really in the culture. Now it's in the culture. And uh, as are, you know, gender relationships and a lot of this stuff. And I find this movie actually a really interesting artifact. Very, very prescient.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Of where we were going at a particular time. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, Coffee and cigarettes. I love that movie. Um, This movie, Jim Jarmusch's film, of course, with Bill Murray and Tom Waits and Roberto Benigni. Well, you know, Roberto Benigni. Uh, and, yeah. so this 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 uh, Joie
0: Lee, I mean, all of these people sitting around Jim Jarmish just shooting a lot of really fun vignettes yeah. with great actors.
1: Yeah, you know, and people talking, and yeah. and, and, and 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 he, and he got away with it. that whole little sequence with the camera because Harvey would go out yeah. there and set the camera up and take the picture.
0: Yeah, just really, sort of beautiful notions in this movie. Uh, the the you know the two things in this movie that I love the most that I absolutely love the most, um. Is when Bill Murray and uh, the R- when well when the RZA is in a and is in the restaurant and Bill Murray is their waiter yeah playing Bill Murray <laughs> yeah and the RZA every time he addresses him he addresses him as, as Bill Bill Murray. Murray what up Bill Murray why are you working in a restaurant Bill Murray <laughs> and it's the most bizarre off the wall strange weird creepy thing in the world and then uh, there is the um, and then there's the uh, there's a sequence there's a story in here that involves Alfred Molina and um, The journey, uh, the other guy. Uh, Oh. uh, Oh,
1: that's Steve Coogan.
0: Steve Coogan. Yeah, Steve Coogan. Yes. So Alfred Molina and Steve Coogan sitting down, playing Alfred Molina and Steve Steve Coogan. Coogan, Coogan, And Alfred Molina telling Steve Coogan, I've discovered that we are related. We're cousins. And Alfred Molina finds this to be so wonderful. And Steve Coogan is creeped out and terrified. (laughs) And that's all it is, and it's just such a weird, freakishly funny, strange movie um it's just it it really is a lot of fun and beautifully shot by Fred Elms, who's of course done a lot of stuff with uh, with David Lynch, really, I love this movie,
1: yeah, so far uh, so uh, Jarmish in general, always yeah. ahead of his
0: time, always you know yeah. a lot
1: of the stuff that we see on streaming now yeah. on Hulu and on Netflix yeah. and on Amazon. Uh, which are these sort of like contemporary, you know, yeah. sort of movie talking? He, 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 Twenty years ago, yes. uh, that movie I think it's from two thousand three, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Uh, do you know Lulu Bell? I don't know that movie. Uh, Lulu Bell, uh, yes. Uh, Dorothy Lamour played Lulu Bell. Um, this is a uh, this is a this is an okay film. This is from nineteen forty eight. Uh, it is a it is a true story, but the question is always just how, tr- how true was it? Uh, yeah, Lulu Bell was a big deal on Broadway, and this is kind of a, a late backstage uh, look at her career and the ups and downs of her relationships, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, it, it, there, there's a little bit of a crime angle to it as well, and uh, it, it. I think it. I don't know how. I don't know how well this film really ages. Uh, Dorothy Lamour was. You know, trying never really great at holding a movie down by herself. She was somebody he threw in with yeah. Bing, and Bing and Bob and let them kind of roll as a threesome. But yeah. in any case, yeah, Lulabelle. Uh, George Montgomery also shows up. It's uh, Otto Kruger. Does a good job in this, too.
1: Yeah, Lulabelle, 1948. Uh, from 1919, Abel Gantz's *Jacques*. Oh, such a great story. Uh, it's been told many times, of course. Uh really, had, really great story. It deserves story. to be told again, And It, it, it kind of, you know, along the paths... Uh, Pass to Glory. Uh, I don't know. One of the great anti sort of sort of anti war films yeah. and anti anti-Semitism films. Yeah. Anti anti-Semitism films. Uh, to a beautiful story. Not to mention Abel Gance is a filmmaker um, who uh, was a great innovator uh, around the time of D.W. Griffith here yeah. in the United States, a little bit before. And a lot of times he doesn't get the credit. He's a. He's a I'm a big, big fan. Yeah. He doesn't get the credit f- for many of the things that he innovated. Yeah. Uh, that sort of accrue to Hollywood filmmakers of the day. First widescreen film. Ever. First widescreen film. so you know, A triptych put together. Yeah. He, he put. He put. He put cameras on wires and cameras yeah. on horses and. Uh, mm-hmm. extremely sort of uh, 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 Sergi Eisensteinian sort of editing yeah. uh, uh, stuff like that. Really interesting stuff. Anyway, Jacques there on Blu-ray.
0: 1938. Very, very revolutionary film in many, many respects. Yeah, really, really great. Excellent, excellent. Uh, and then we've also got Brazil. What a strange, wonderful, kind of crazy musical thing this is. Uh, the music, first of all, is fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. This is from 1944. And uh, there is no one in this of real sort of uh, significant name recognition that we would know today other than, to some degree, uh, Roy Rogers, who just has a cameo, uh-huh. and uh, Edward Everett Horton, who was, of course, the voice of um, uh, Mr. Peabody yeah. in the Mr. <laughs> Peabody cartoons and who shows up in a lot of these uh, these, early, these old movies is just sort of a kind of a fuddy-dud, a very, very patrician fuddy-dud. Uh but basically this is just a lot of really great um Brazilian music, a lot of samba and a lot of, you know, just fabulous Brazilian music kind of wrapped around a rather silly story about a a, a, a lady author who um is playing like a is kind of having living a double life and it's it get it sort of doesn't really it's a bit of it tries to be a bit of a farce and none of it really ever works terribly well. Um but you just listen to the music and it's fine. It's it's a lot of fun. Just don't focus on uh, whether or not it makes any sense. And it's a it's a great little weird kind of kitsch throwback.
1: Uh Tony Curtis's Houdini with Janet Lee. Yeah. This is my favorite Houdini.
0: <laughs> it is, isn't it? Yeah, you know, because there are a lot of you know Houdini's. Hard, uh, I just love this movie. One. It's nothing to do with the real Houdini's no. life. It just makes up all kinds of supernatural, kind of weird, mystical stuff. But I don't care. Which is interesting because H- Houdini couldn't stand supernaturalism.
1: He's, I know he, he used to poke uh, he used to poke. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle about that all yeah. the time because you know, believe it or not, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was a bit of a. Spiritualist. Yeah, he was. You know, he believed in yeah. his, I mean, Houdini. was like, no,
0: they're <laughs> just making crap up. I do it every day. But all, but that, that whole angle with it, like, like his mom. And, yeah, and, is she talking to me? And is it? It's really, you know, it's, it's fun. It's fun, even though it's not really factual. Yeah, 1953 film uh, on Blu ray. Uh, so, you know, anyway, it's a
1: neat movie that I always sort of like. Uh, Tony Curtis, uh, Janet Lee. Not a whole lot on this. No. MSC, as a matter of fact, pretty much nothing.
0: Uh, cheers for Miss Bishop. Another wonderful little discovery from the 40s. Got a lot of those this week. This is from 1940, straight up. Uh, Terrific, terrific performances here, Uh, especially Edmund Gwen and uh, Martha Scott, who is the star, and then uh, Mary Anderson, who this was her first film, apparently. Uh, This is really, really... uh, 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 This is a wonderful, wonderful uh, drawing room drama, I think is the best way to put it. Uh, It's basically about a midwestern school teacher and the uh the life that she has led that has sort of fulfilled her that has d- disappointed her um how she's sort of made some of the right choices and the wrong choices the right and wrong relationships um it's a really it's a very sweet movie and it uh it's very you know very dignified and very respectful and very old-fashioned and a wonderful film to rediscover. I think it's, uh, it's definitely worth checking out. So that's the 1940s Cheers for Miss Bishop, starring Martha Scott. Really a sweet film.
1: Uh, Carrington, um, I have here uh, from director Christopher Hampton. Christopher Hampton's interesting because he's really, he's really more of a writer than he is more of a director. Yeah. Yeah, this is one of the two or three films to be directed. This yep. is Simon Thompson and Jonathan yeah. Price. Uh, she's playing the painter uh, Dora Carrington, and her she has a sort of platonic, uh, platonic relationship with. It's a, it's a good film, but when I think about Christopher Hampton, I think about Dangerous Liaisons. Yeah, uh, I think about uh, the American Quilt, which he wrote. Yeah, uh, 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 a Dangerous Method, most recently. Anyway, yeah. this is a perfectly lovely film, uh, particularly because Emma Thompson is in and Emma Thompson is is freaking fantastic. Terrific. Uh, a Blu-ray here. Not a whole lot on this one either.
0: And uh, the last of the olive Oh, and by the way, uh, with Christopher Hampton, you know the most interesting thing about Christopher Hampton. He David Lean's final film was supposed to be an adaptation of Joseph Conrad's *Nostromo*. Mm-hmm. And I remember being a David Lean fanatic as I am. Uh, it, uh, on a trip to um, to the Cannes Film Festival, in I think it was ninety two. I think it was ninety two. When I was I was you know in my crazy naive fresh out of film school mind I was uh, you know I thought I'm just going to get a whole lot of meetings with a lot of people in uh, in France I'll just write them letters and tell them I'm an American kid it was it was ridiculous what I did but I met with a lot of interesting people in Paris before I got down to the film festival uh, including the original producer of The Umbrellas of Cherbourg who mm-hmm. talked to me for about a half an hour in his offices and told me all kinds of interesting stories and you know I met more people than I expected to and I also met the um, uh, the production manager for Nostromo which was in the works at that time and I saw the production boards for Nostromo wrapping around the walls of the offices in Paris mm. and it was insane what that movie was going to be. It was going to be amazing. Christopher Hampton wrote the first draft of that and then Lean went back to Robert Bolt and had mm. him do a, do a complete rewrite of, of what Hampton had written and Lean always said something very interesting when people would ask him about before he died, when they asked him about you know, working with Hampton and, and Bolt uh, he said, Christopher writes in primary colors. Mm. Robert writes in pastels. Mm. And I thought, that is just such an amazingly cool English sing- thing to say. Yeah. Because it and really... And I understand exactly what he means. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Dangerous liaisons is all primary colors. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Uh, so anyway... Uh, and the last of the Olive titles, and coming down to the end of our coverage this week, is Raquel Welch in Hanny Calder, which Olive has uh, re-released as part of the Olive Signature line. They are releasing as the Olive Signature line and with really cool slip covers and sleeves. Uh, a lot of their really classic titles and with all, kind, all new uh, extras on them and better transfers. And uh, Hanny Calder absolutely warrants it. This was uh, directed by Burt Kennedy. In uh, 1971, this is one of those 1970s-era Westerns that becomes almost an anti-Western, turning back on everything that Westerns were in the 50s and 60s. And uh, it is maybe the best actual acting performance Raquel Welch ever did because she's like an anti-sex symbol in this thing. Uh, it, is, uh, it, is, it is just absolutely terrific. It is, a, it is essentially I Spit on Your Grave yeah. done as a Western. You know, it is a it is a woman who is out for vengeance in the West uh, after you know being being raped and her husband being murdered, and she's just uh, you know she's going to really give it to uh, the bad guy played by um, Ernest Borgnine, and. Um, you know, he of course has a bunch of other people who are along with him. Jackie Lamb and Struther Martin. And it's, uh, it's, it's a nasty Struther gang. But it's Martin. Strother Martin, Struther Struther Martin right. But uh, a lot of great extras on this thing. The, uh, there's an audio commentary that features Alex Cox, of all people, who needs to go out and make some more movies of his own. But it's nice to hear him kind of weigh in on this. It's really, really interesting. And it gives me an insight into Walker. Did you ever see Alex Cox as Walker? No. With Ed Harris as, uh, as you know, Walker, the guy that did oh, the, the, oh, yeah. the, the Nicaraguan... Uh, coup yeah. Walker, the American mercenary who staged a coup of Nicaragua in, in the 19th century. Um, that, there's a lot of Hanny Yeah, there's a lot of Hannie Calder in in that movie. Mm. So that's interesting. Um, and then there's the uh, Ben Scher, who's a film scholar, does a, a an interesting bit here looking at rape revenge movies in general, mm-hmm. which is a really interesting subgenre that nobody's written enough about. And uh, some other stuff here. Sympathy for Lady Vengeance, which is an essay by Kim Morgan, is also really good on the same subject. So I just Park I, yeah, uh, I think um, I think that's a really cool film. And then uh, lastly, on the uh, on the classic film front, um, got a few other little things here. We'll get to real quickly. Um, we're running out of time from uh, the film detective who keeps restoring really great stuff. The man who skied down Everest is best documentary of uh, the Academy Awards in 1975. Um, the, the, the really cool stuff that they keep getting from uh, film detective. This just goes right in there. This is an amazing um, movie that stars uh, Yuchiro Miura and Douglas rain. And it is uh essentially the story of how – I'm just murdering his name, I know it – how Yuchira Miura really honestly did try to ski down Mount Everest in 1970. And uh, Douglas Rain, who is the voice of HAL 9000, does the narration of this. And he reads from the diary that Miura actually wrote, and it has this strange kind of surreal, otherworldly feel to it that documentaries just do not have. And uh, it is. this is really an ex- astonishing movie. Well, the notion
1: here, of course, is that, first of all, in order to ski down Mount Everest... You have to be bit, insane. Well, first of all, you have to climb Mount Everest. Yes. <laughs> so that's, that's that's the first sort of thing that has to happen. Uh, and then, of course, you can't really ski down Mount Mount Everest. It'd be like, it'd be like a 45, 50-degree yeah. angle. What you would be doing is yeah, falling. Not, yeah, You're falling. <laughs> <laughs> it's what you're doing. It's really
0: an amazing... But it is movie. sort of metaphysical. It's an amazing movie. And then last two uh, compilations here. Superhero Origins is three classic serials. Batman, Batman and Robin, and The Shadow. All of them from the 1940s. Uh, all of them rather silly, but thoroughly enjoyable. Uh, this is from Mill Creek, uh, licensing from Columbia Pictures. The, uh, the, the, sh- the Shadow from 1940 is actually pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I found that to be really, really great. The Batman serials from uh, 1943 and forty-nine are, are just uh, absolutely silly, but um, still a lot of fun for, yeah. for Batman fans. And then uh, five classic war films. Uh, this is from Mill Creek. This is five films, all all of them really interesting in their own way, is all jammed together on one uh, one compilation set. You get *Bitter Victory*, *The Prisoner*, *Commando Strike at Dawn*, *Castle Keep*, and *Young Winston*. Now, *Young Winston* is the uh, is the great film here. Richard Attenborough directed this film. Uh, in in there, all of these are you know beautiful, beautiful widescreen, with the exception of *Commando Strike at Dawn*. Uh, but uh, the super wide screen of Young Winston, uh, which is two and a half hours long. It's a great film. It's a beautiful film. It's worth buying this just for that alone. And then the uh, Sidney Pollack's Castle Keep. Oh, yeah, yeah Castle Keep. Burton Lancaster with that patch. Oh, it's fabulous. Oh, yeah, that's fabulous. a young Sidney Pollack
1: Yeah, Yeah. Sidney yeah, Pollack is really young. It's, oh, yeah, very young. 69, 69 yeah. actually,
0: yeah. So, uh, that's, those, are the, those are the two here. Bitter, uh, Bitter Victory is also great. Richard Burton and Kurt Jurgens. that's been out before. And uh, The Ringers here is kind of The Prisoner, which is not great, but See it for Alan Guinness and Jack Hawkins, uh, and you know, directed through Gwen who, who did, of course, uh, Beckett. And Commando Strike at Dawn is the less interesting of the lot, which is from 1943. So, um, but it's still, it's it, you know, these are all noteworthy films, all worth, all worth checking out. So, uh, I recommend this for people who are looking for a really great bargain buy it for themselves or as the a gift. All right, Tim. That's it for this week. Thank oh. you for sitting in again. We'll have you next week, and uh, then we'll bring Mark back to uh, tell us whether his uh, his giant romantic escapade uh, actually bore fruit. How, how can it be bad? Ah, yeah, that's true. Bad. All right. We'll see you next week.